Hello, welcome to Center St. Sister. On Center St. Sister, we might laugh or cry, we might get angry or motivated, we might grieve or celebrate, and sometimes all of those things can happen in the very same episode. We are a community of spiritual searchers who embrace Jesus' example of making a beeline to the hurting. Whether an episode is spiritual in nature, purely educational, or just for fun, my hope is that you finish the episode feeling hopeful. I hope you hear something today that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. I have been a devout Catholic for about 20 years, and I've been a Christian longer than that. And I would like to say that a big shift came into my soul when I realized this one thing. It's just one tiny word, and it changed everything with. I've spent much of my life trying to please God, and I've gone about it some really goofy ways. I've lived under God, under God, relating to him primarily as a sinner, under the constant threat of his wrath and punishment, trying desperately to decipher what God likes, what he doesn't like, and then living as much as I could within those moral boundaries under God. It was terrifying. I've lived over God, conforming him to my story instead of myself to his story and letting him know the ways that I would prefer to be blessed, treating him like a heavenly vending machine, my prayers, the currency, them answered my reward. Like God and I were just old pals exchanging favors. Over God. That was frustrating. And I've lived for God, and maybe this was closer. Every decision made in hopes of pleasing him. I was called. I was driven. I was keeping up. I was spreading myself thin in his name and for his glory, but I was using God instead of worshiping him for God. That was exhausting. But a big shift, it came in my soul when I realized this, that God doesn't need me. He just wants me. A big shift came in my soul when I quit trying to live under or over or for God and started living with God. We are here for just a moment. But this moment, how we spend it, it has eternal significance, and God wants to spend it with us. A new voice that I've been taking in these days is Andy Kolber. She is a licensed professional counselor specializing in trauma and body-centered therapy. She's a trauma survivor herself. She's a two-time author of Try Softer and Strong Like Water. But more than any of these things, she is a devoted disciple who focuses not just on coping with suffering, but how to continue walking with God, and believing that he is good when things are definitely not so good. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. I know I certainly did. Andi, it is such a deep, deep honor to have you here. Um, I was actually unfamiliar with your work before Strong Like Water came out, but with this latest book launch and your latest endeavor, Strong Like Water, Everyone Go!, run, don't walk. Um, I feel like you have completely broken the internet or at least my corner of it because everyone is talking about your wisdom, your resiliency, your talent, your courage, Mm. um, your hard fought peace that Mm. you, uh, yes, your hard fought peace. And, and most of all, your very multi-dimensional strength. Um, Mm. sometimes it rages like a rapid and then other times it's this gentle trickle and, um, your specific wisdom in titrating that strength and knowing when to tap into what, and then as if all of that weren't enough, your, um, your amazing ability to teach us Mm. what Mm. you know. So, um, I am just, I'm so excited for this conversation that we're about to have. And I'm so thrilled you're here. Mm, Wow. Well, thank you. I feel just deeply honored by that introduction and those words. And I received that. I received that encouragement. And um, yeah, sometimes it's a little bit surreal when people, when you get to hear Mm. how your work impacts people. Absolutely. Um, I can't imagine. Yes. Um, so you are a believer and a disciple. You are a licensed professional counselor. You are a two-time author, Try Softer and Strong Like Water. You um, have specialized in trauma and body-centered therapy. You have a talent for teaching. You have a talent for basketball. Um, you <laughs> live in Michigan with your husband mm-hmm. and two kids. You're a, tra- a trauma survivor yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and your own work in healing, that hard 
hard fought knowledge. Um, it is being used to bring others along. And I would like for you to know that my copy of Strong Like Water is so well born. It is dog-eared and highlighted and underlined, and it has been used to have many um, life-changing, even, conversations, um, and a lot of them are difficult. So um, it feels woefully inadequate for me to just go through a list of your ac- accomplishments as a way of introducing you. So I would really like for you to introduce yourself to listeners by telling us a little bit about who and what you love. Mm. Mm. Well, again, thank you so much. And um, yeah, so who I love. Um, Well, I, there's a lot of things that I love. Um, Who I love, though, um, definitely, I think, some sources of just profound um, life for me are definitely my husband and my kids. Um, I dedicated this book uh, there was, I had like multiple dedications. I'm like, how many dedications can I have? Um, you, know, you make the rules. <laughs> I make the rules. Yeah. No, my, my publisher, they were good with it. They were, they worked with me on it. Um, yeah. I mean, and I'll just say, I mean, and, and almost for different reasons, though, there's similarities. I mean, I think mm. for my husband, you know, I mean, I feel like this is sort of cliche, but what can I do but to say like it is what you know, like it's yeah. the reality of um he really was such a has been such a huge part of my journey of healing. Um, because you know, I had survived a lot by the time I met mm-hmm. him. And I was still surviving, even though in yeah. many ways I was not as close in proximity to where I had experienced mm-hmm. so much trauma, but I was still in survival mode. And I don't think I even knew what it meant not to be in survival mode. I mean, I would yeah. have never used that language. I just always, it took so much energy just to be Um, that oftentimes it was actually easier to be alone than to be around people Mm -hmm. because so much of my trauma was intertwined with um, connection and attachment. And so what that taught my body is that it was really hard to feel safe with other people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and not to say that there weren't at times good people in my life, but I wasn't always able to receive that. Yeah. It felt too scary. And so for Brendan, um, you know, and, and it was a, it was gradual and there were stops and starts and all these different things, but ultimately the ability to be with someone mm-hmm. and to allow your body to really fully exhale, mm-hmm. you know, that's when I think about safety in a body, mm-hmm. like from a body language way, um, I often describe it less about, I could tell you, we can talk all about the neurobiology and there's value to that. But I think oftentimes safety feels like those moments when you are not holding your breath and you're not having to try so hard and you're not Mm. afraid and you're not planning what you're going to say next. Mm. You are existing in a way that feels nourishing, calm, or like your body can finally settle. Mm. And I think for me, I had had maybe a few moments of that, but they were always fleeting. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first times in my life where it was sustained, mm-hmm. where it was like I could be in someone else's presence and I wasn't exhausted at the end. Yeah. I had never, I didn't know, I didn't really know what that was like. Yeah. Um, and so that I think was a, has been the building blocks. And certainly we've grown a lot um, in our, in our relationship. And, you know, we've been married almost um, 16 years. And, and then my kiddos, I mean, uh, you know, I often say my becoming a mom, my daughter, Mattia, she's 11. Um, and then my son, Jude is six, but becoming a mom just cracked me open. Um, because even though I had really kind of begun to engage healing, um, I was still pretty, I had a lot of protective strategies that were working okay for me, (laughs) to be honest. Yeah. But when I became a mom, those strategies did not work in the same way Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. And it caused me, first, it hurt so much because it just stripped me down a lot. Like I just didn't have the capacity I felt like. Um, And, but ultimately what it did is it, it caused me to engage deeper healing Mm -hmm. because I loved, I mean, both my kiddos, I loved them so much. And I recognized I did not at that point have what I needed to parent in the way that I wanted to. Yeah. 
And yeah. that caused me to say, okay, what is going, you know, I mean, it was a longer journey than that, but it was a catalyst for, I mean, profound growth and yeah. profound healing. Yeah. Thank you. That is a, a very thorough answer. You touch on so many things that I want to dive deeper into. So this is perfect. But um, if you don't mind, Andi, to get us started, to get us started, what if you just um, defined trauma for us? Because I, I think that it would be really beneficial to know the difference between mm. trauma and pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I use a really broad definition of trauma, but I'll I'll flesh it out a little bit. Um. I define trauma as anything that overwhelms our nervous system's capacity to cope. And what that means neurobiologically is that when we have an experience and it exceeds um, what our body can process, and that could be because it's too overwhelming, it's just too much. It's Some people say it's too much, it's too fast, it's too soon. There's this sense of too muchness. Uh And the reason why that matters when we talk about trauma is that our body is designed to metabolize our experiences, almost like we metabolize food. (laughs) Like, And when we have an experience and our body um, processes it in the way it's designed to do, um, we sort of file those experiences away, I would say, appropriately. So it's like they get stored in like our long-term memory and we can reflect on them and they feel like they're like in the past. It's over now. Is this mm-hmm. similar? Is this similar? Is this where you were talking in the book about it? It had, it allowed itself to play out. You know, mm. you were, I think you were talking in the book is where there was a, there was a finish. Yes. That it, yeah, what, there absolutely. wasn't this, abru- okay, go ahead. Yes. Yes. Um, definitely. That's something I go into with in strong like water, that there is a completion to an experience. And, Mm -hmm. and it means that like more than theoretically, like it's like our body, like if a a situation makes us anxious, that's more than an idea. Like we actually have cortisol, for example, that might come into, you know, what we're experiencing. And that cortisol needs to be able to fully process and move through the body Mm -hmm. so that it can, it can, all the way be complete. Yeah. In in many ways, trauma is the opposite. Trauma is when an experience is so overwhelming, so disturbing. And, and again, that's based off of our perception also of it, not just what how it looks on the outside. Yes. Um, that our body stores it um, in fragmented pieces. And it does that. It it's like it, it doesn't get to be processed, and therefore it's literally stuck in our bodies. Yeah. And what that means then is that when something um sort of rem- like our body is essentially always scanning for safety. And when you have an experience that's not resolved, your mm-hmm. body says your body's wisdom takes that and says, "Okay, remember that." Mm-hmm. Because that smell that you are connect like connecting to maybe something that happened, that smell, that's connected to danger. So for example, you could smell something and, you know, a lot of times the language, the popular language is you become triggered. And what that literally means is that you re-experience a moment as though it's happening in the present, even if it actually happened 20 years ago. Yeah. And so now with this, the one other thing I'll say is that there is, um, you know, in like in my first book, Try Softer, I talk about big T trauma and little t trauma. Okay. And I, I talk about it this way, not to minimize little t trauma. Little t trauma doesn't mean that it's not important. It mostly is based off of in like the DSM, which diagnoses trauma, um, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, you ha- there are certain diagnostic criteria that have to be met. Um, in order to have PTSD. And part of how that tends to show up is that it becomes so over, not only is it overwhelming to your nervous system that it becomes stored, but likely it will cause your general functioning to be deeply like impaired. Like it, (laughs) it will likely cause you to have, you know, whether that's flashbacks or panic attacks or significant dissociation, Uh um, that you, you, your functioning will often be recognized from outside other people. Right, right, right. will notice that. Uh uh Um, and then the little T trauma, it's, it remains that same definition, 
mm-hmm. of it's anything that your body can't store. However, oftentimes it's not that again, that it's not significant, but we often will find because our body's so adaptive, we'll find workarounds. Um, yeah, and so right. we still are holding the pain. It can still get triggered. It's mm-hmm. still impacting us. It's still mm-hmm. hurting us, but it may not cause us to like, maybe that overall functioning is not as impaired. Right. Right. Um, and then the final thing I'll say is that oftentimes lots of little T trauma that's unresolved uh-huh. can look the same as like one big T trauma. So I feel like there are so many people who have experienced trauma who are not calling it trauma because we are always aware of someone who has it worse than us. You know, we're, um, it's like, we're only allowed to acknowledge our circumstance if we are, you know, like high enough on some imaginary hierarchy of, of, of pain, you know, mm-hmm. um, so what are some indicators that we have more experience to do around an experience or, or a, a feeling that we're having? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I think that, um, oftentimes there's lot, there's lots of different cues. And I think one is if you are noticing that your reactions seem disproportionate mm, yeah. to the situation, right? Because oftentimes this is a clue that what is happening, it might be about the present a little bit, but often it might also be about the past. It might also be about experiences um, from the past that never fully were resolved. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I think like an example might be like, let's say you're, you're at work and your boss, um, asks if they could give you some feedback later you know, or something like it's something where it's like there, yeah, like you could see how that could be scary or that could feel sure. like anyone might have some kind of feeling about that. Right. Sure. But let's say that kind of question brings up anxiety that is so significant that yeah. it feels like, man, I don't even know if I can keep working right now. Right. Yeah. Right. Like this would be a clue that oh, this feels bigger than this moment. And maybe it's because of an old job or maybe it's because in your childhood, any kind of feedback was so severe or so critical mm-hmm. or so shame-based mm-hmm. that you knew what was coming caused you to not want to be present in your own body kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I Before we jump into strength, because it is the, the crux of your work, um, I, I wonder if we could talk about, um, like a physical overview, like, um, our our nervous system, because, um, there is something about science and, and I'm not even all that sciencey to be honest, (laughs) but there's something about science that when it's applied to something, Mm -hmm. um, as wishy-washy as my emotions seem to me, or, um, if it's applied to something as unpredictable as my reactions might seem to me, it, when science is applied to those things, it makes me feel so legitimized. It makes me feel so affirmed, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so I feel accompanied when I realize that, oh, actually that isn't wishy-washy. It's actually intentional or, Oh, that isn't unpredictable. It's actually quite predictable. (laughs) And, um, because you know, it's science and turns out I'm not making it up. Um, so you use so much science and strong like water, um, to explain what's happening on this very physical level. Um, do you mind just a simple science lesson just about our Mm -hmm. nervous systems and what might be actually going on physically when we are in distress? And I know that that's a really big question, but I I think that it would be helpful for the rest of the, of the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love to do psychoeducation for folks, um, around things like our nervous system, because I, I think it's good for everyone. I mean, every person, no matter your history, um, has a nervous system and that nervous system deeply impacts how we show up in the world, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think particularly for Christians, um, but really this is true for anyone. I think it's easy to be like, it's sort of my, either it's like mind over matter, or it's sort of like only our spirit matters, or, you know, there's sort of, can be a spiritual bypassing component sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, and we don't bring along our (sighs) God-given bodies. Right. And so I think that the nervous system and, and the more that we know about it, I think the more I'm like, oh my gosh, this matters. So 
I would love to talk about it. Um, so one of the ways that I often, when I'm explaining the nervous system is often to start with like the window of tolerance. Um, and the window of tolerance is a range of arousal in which we can feel our feelings or have an experience or feel an emotion or really it's, it's anything that we are going through it. Like yeah. if we can stay in that range of arousal, um, our body is able to stay more integrated and some really important parts of our, of our brain, um, are connected. For example, our prefrontal cortex, which is the very top of our brain, um, is online when we are in that window. We also, if this is the place where we sort of have access to full parts of ourselves. Now, this doesn't mean we're always doing that. Like, it's not like we're like always living from our best self, quote unquote, if we're in the window, yeah. but we have the capacity uh -huh. to be really who we are created to be when we are in the window. And even from a faith perspective, I would say this is the range in which we have the best possibility of interfacing, I think, with God, okay. because we have the ability to see things more as they are and not from only a place of um, threat mm. or fear, mm -hmm. um, which are really difficult things and at different points almost can be impossible to bypass. And I'll explain that just a little bit. So that window is really important. Uh -huh. um, when our body perceives that there is a significant enough threat, we begin to go outside of that window and we first go up into what our sympathetic nervous system. And the sympathetic is usually what we think of when we're talking about like fight or flight. Uh -huh. um, it also can be parts of what I would call the fawn response, which is sort of that it's the, it's sort of like a need to accommodate threat yeah. to, to neutralize it. Right. So it can mm -hmm. look like people pleasing things like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So neurobiologically, our body is wired to first go to the sympathetic when there's danger uh -huh. and it does this, you know, you can, t usually you can kind of tell when you're connected a little bit to your sympathetic because it's, it's about mobilizing. Yeah. It's like, uh -huh. Your heart's racing, your mm -hmm. body's starting, maybe you're mm -hmm. sweating. Yeah. Um, you can't hold still, you know, yeah. and that could also, you know, be that feeling of I'm laughing because I have a good imagination and I'm there now. I'm like, yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> Where are we going? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that sympathetic energy, it's not that all sympathetic is bad, but right. when our body experiences a sense that the threat is too big, that prefrontal cortex literally goes offline. Uh -huh. And when that happens, we are living only from survival brain. Mm -hmm. And the goal of our survival brain is very narrow. It's literally yeah. like based so off few of, choices. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's not a place of choice. It's a place of almost default mechanisms to yeah. say what is in, what is needed in this situation to survive. So first we, so we're, you know, going into that sympathetic and if our body like if we essentially perceive this, that going to the sympathetic won't resolve the threat, yeah. we will then drop down to the low side of the window of tolerance. And we will go into different forms of like dissociation and that dissociation, there's a whole range, but it can, yeah. it can range from being like feeling a little bit heavy or depressed. Mm -hmm. It can feel like feeling a little disconnected from yourself mm -hmm. or disconnected from your emotions. Maybe a little bit like you're watching yourself. Um, all the way to like losing consciousness. I mean, if the threat, you know, yeah. this, this is often like, let's say in a, like a sexual assault or various situations where our body is like, this is so scary that the safest thing is actually to not be conscious. And our body does these things. I think this is really important to understand is that this, these state changes out of our window happen instantaneously and subconsciously. Right. So, so this is important because I think a lot of people think, oh, if I could just think myself out of this. Yes. Can I strong arm this response? Yeah. Yes. And then we, and then we shame ourselves and we're like, oh, I can't believe I yeah. did this again. And, and certainly if we're harming someone, if we're doing those things, we need to, there's like the both end of like, we need to honor <clears throat> pardon me, like our 
behavior, like if we've harmed someone, but we also have to recognize our neurobiology. And yeah. that is, it's not until we return to the window yes, yes, that we really begin to have some choice. So choices. Yeah. And so, Gosh. yeah, this whole range just tells us like, first of all, it's a gift that we can survive. Right. And yet it's much more complex than most of us have understood. And so there are times that that is serving you really, really well. And so to go back to how do we know that we have more work to do around something, there is that disproportionate response that you mentioned earlier. So, um, okay, this is probably a really good time to bring up embodiment. Um, our bodies are the location of our trauma, as you say, and we have such complicated relationships with our bodies for a multitude of reason, reasons. We, we punish them we blame them, we ignore them um, altogether. And in Strong Like Water, you are often bringing us right back to our bodies. And it's a crucial part of, of healing work. Can you tell us more about why repairing this complicated relationship of ours is so important? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that is a great insight. And that is something that is a huge theme in my work um, in terms of it, that all of this is connected to embodiment. Um, and, uh, you know, something I say a lot is that there is no bypassing our bodies. Yeah. Um, and even like, ultimately there's no bypassing it, in moments we think we can bypass, but mm. ultimately it never, it never gets us where we need to go yeah. to bypass. Right. Uh -huh. And so, and one other thing I'll just say about that is that, um, you know, often from a faith integration perspective, I think this is where the life and incarnation of Jesus is so profoundly meaningful. And I think is such a um, touch point of, for multiple reasons. Like I just love how the modeling of, of, of Jesus is that he did not bypass his body. Yeah. He lived in a body and mm -hmm. in that body, he wept and he slept and he set boundaries and he was angry and he grieved and he, I mean, he lived, right? And I think, especially for Christians, we're often given this picture of like, it's this very disembodied picture of what it means to be a follower of God. And to me, I think that is a very um, narrow and very hollow Mm -hmm. um, picture of what it means to be alive because Jesus said, you know, he said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Yeah. And so I'll, I, so just to start that conversation, I think that's a beautiful, like, I think that's just so important. And, yeah. and it's interesting to me how often the life of Jesus is bypassed, mm -hmm. um, as like these little nuances of, of his actual humanity. Mm -hmm. oftentimes it's like, we're like, yes, Jesus was God, but we don't say also all of this also yeah. fully human. Yeah. What are the implications? Right. Because right. Right. Fully human. Right. Yeah. With all and, its dirt and, and, and grime. And, you know, I feel like we can sometimes sanitize all that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's so much more, it's textured and it's deep and it's, real. And it's like something that can actually be held, you know? And mm -hmm. I think it's beautiful that our God, you know, from that Christian faith tradition, that it's the perspective that our God came in a body. And literally, I think particularly for trauma survivors, to me, I think it's such a profound a sign of solidarity mm -hmm. that, that God with us yeah. experienced life and even suffering in a body. Um, so I just think that's such a beautiful and important point. Um, but to, but to also talk about this embodiment piece from more, a little bit more from this clinical, like sort of neurobiological perspective, a, a couple things I want to say is that we find ourselves often when we're talking about the body in a little bit of a catch 22. <laughs> and here's what I mean by that. Because the body is the location of the trauma. We have to honor that often our, like the way that many of us have become disembodied is because the body doesn't feel safe anymore yeah. because it is holding the trauma. And so one of the ways that our body is helping us survive is mm -hmm. actually by allowing us yeah. to dissociate essentially, right? And so there's, this can be confusing because we're like, wait, 
I thought I was supposed to be in my body, but like, also you're saying this is good that I'm dissociating. And I think what I would just say is that it's not so much that it's not so much that it's good. It's just that it is. Yeah. It's that it's what has been needed to survive to this point. Um, and, and I think that oftentimes the way that we then work with the body, this is why I'm so big on things like pacing. Mm -hmm. I'm big on giving people lots of choices and, and having lots of consent about how they are engaging their own body. Yes. Because when, in order to inhabit the body again, we cannot force it. Mm -hmm. It has to be befriended. It has to be, it has to be like compassionately approached Mm -hmm. almost like you think about you know you think about like a scared this is maybe this I don't know if this will resonate or not but like a like a like a dog that has been abused right Mm -hmm. that little doggy is like doesn't like is so scared and doesn't Mm want to be held and Mm -hmm. doesn't want what it like you know it needs maybe but I think that there's a sense in which often it's a little bit like that it's like our body's like please get away from me I don't want to feel that this yeah. is too much. Mm-hmm. And so this is why, I mean, you even mentioned earlier, like titration, like titration mm-hmm. yeah. is that idea that we do it little by little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for folks who are listening, who are like, I love the idea of embodiment. And also that's really scary. And also yeah. that feels really big. <laughs> I just want to encourage you, first of all, that's actually your body doing all that they can mm-hmm to protect you. Mm-hmm. They're saying yeah. there is something here that feels very scary. And, and because that's true, we honor that by, by pacing it out and saying, okay, well, I hear you. Would it be okay if I just noticed my feet on the floor right now? Like, is that possible? And is that doable? Right. And it's like these little practices that, that also convey dignity and honor to ourselves. Yeah. That's such say, a gentle reclaiming. Um, I, yeah. if I, I can, I, I would like to share something with you as I was reading your book, I am a yoga instructor. And, mm-hmm. um, as I was reading, it struck me that the whole thing, like this lifetime of healing, um, and this, this is by chance or, or God given, or just like this, this very holy, what felt like to me a very holy coincidence. And I might have a few things wrong because I was like very much learning as I was reading, but, um, a yoga session really felt like a microcosm of this lifetime of, of healing because I start every session where, you know, we're laying flat on our backs and our eyes are closed and, um, there is an invitation to draw a protective line around your body, um, that you are, are safe in this space and that nothing happens in yoga without your permission. And then, um, an invitation to, to take up all your space and then, um, and then just an awareness of, of your senses. And in this mm-hmm. moment, there is safety because look, you're taking a breath and even this, um, you know, the, the long exhalations to mm-hmm. trick your brain. I don't like the word trick because your work is so honest, but to trick your brain into, you know, your body knowing that this is a safe moment, not just like, you know, but actually feeling that physically. And then, you know, we start with like gentle movement that moves into a flow. And Mm -hmm. so now in that flow, after that flow, we're going to, we're going to push and we're going to hold this and it's going to be longer than you might like. And, and we're going to, we're going to stay here and we're going to do this hard thing. And then we work like back into a flow. And then we always end in the same way that we started, which is a remembrance of safety. We're, we're flat on our backs and that inside that circle and bringing to mind our sense, all of our senses again. And, and, and here we are, like this work is complete and you can Mm -hmm. stay here as long as you'd like, you know? Um, and so there was something about reading all of this that reminded me of that. And it felt like, um, a, just a gentle reclaiming of Mm -hmm. this body. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Absolutely. I think, I think yoga can be such a profound resource. You know, I talk a lot about resources yes. and I think um, part of how I discuss resources is that um, it communicates safety to your body. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that might seem like, oh, 
really small. But part of it is, is that it's the constant cues mm-hmm. to, to know that we have what we need. Yes. Right. 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 And so when we think about this, it's like, I think it can be like, we hear that and it's like, oh, safety, like it, it feels really narrow, but no, no, no. It's as we have eyes to see, there are so many resources potentially available to us that communicate to our bodies. Um, you can move through this. Mm-hmm. You can potentially do hard things. Mm-hmm. You can feel this feeling. Mm-hmm. You can tap into a flow. Like you can, I mean, there's there's all these things. And so I love um, how you describe, I mean, I think it really is a microcosm. I think that's a beautiful way to describe um, part of what, just like what it's like to be human, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that, and that there's like an ebb and flow to all of our humanity. And even, you know, I think sometimes we're going to need, you know, different kinds of strength. And sometimes we're going to need to show up to the world in different ways. And that, that, um, you know, ultimately our goal is really what I would say the goal of healing is to have the capacity to show up to a situation and have your nervous system accurately. Yes accurately respond. Mm -hmm. So if you are in a life-threatening situation, then you want life-saving strength. Yes. And if you are in a situation where, um, there's hard things, but like your body's able to pick up that you can do hard things, then like that's transitional strength Mm -hmm. and you're able to move through that and hopefully get to that integrated strength. And so all that to say, I just think that's a really beautiful, um, yeah, I think microcosm is a great word for that. Thank you, Andy. So, okay. So this is the heartbeat of your work. Um, Mm -hmm. this, this word strength, and I know Mm -hmm. that this is professional for you, but it's also personal. And as you were describing yourself, um, in the book and, and, and online, um, how people might define you, the things that you've been rewarded for your strength. Mm -hmm. Um, I really identified with all of Mm -hmm. that, but along the way you learned that perhaps this quality of yours is more than just some personality trait, but mm-hmm. might mm-hmm. actually be um, like a, a response. Um, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I love how you really dive into, yes, it's this response that's worked for me, but is it, it is, is it the best response? Is it the healthiest response? Is it the most effective response? And in that realization, you have redefined strength and you're taking a much more expansive approach to what um, it actually is and how it can serve us. So um, whether it's personally or professionally or scientifically, however you would like to answer this question, will you please geek out for us about strength, Andy? <laughs> Yeah, oh, I love it. I love the to geek out. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, well, as you said, I mean, I think part of my story is that, I, you know, so I grew up, I'm a survivor of complex PTSD um, from my childhood. And, um, and what that meant is both, for me, really a mixture of both big T and little T trauma um, and lots and lots of experiences that never came to resolve. And so in that context, um, my body from a young, young age learned to adapt, learned to adapt to my environment. And to the point that it's taken me a long time even to begin to, uh, a lot of times trauma survivors who have experienced it in childhood don't have a before. Like you don't know what trauma, like you don't know a time before trauma. And I would say that's my experience. Like I don't know that before self completely. Um, and so I share that because my entire life truly, like it got grafted into what I believed was my identity. Um, Mm -hmm. I was always seen as very capable, extremely responsible, um, a high achiever, um, a really, um, a rule follower, um, very spiritual, like all these things that really from the outside, um, look really good. I mean, they, people are like, parents are like, oh, I want my kids to be these things. Right. And, and what was confusing, I mean, the flip side of that, a lot of people didn't see this, but internally, um, profound anxiety experiences of panic and terror. I mean, experiences of, there are large chunks of my childhood. I do not remember. I don't have like a very little memory of certain elements of my life. 
And that is a deep grief, right? And yet the parts of myself developed around that, around this need to survive. And so when, for me, strength um, has always had this feeling of like, I know, like I'm proud. I'm proud that I survived. I'm proud of my younger self. I'm Mm. proud of the person like I survived that. And and not that I would necessarily do every single thing exactly the same. Sure. But I just have profound compassion for why yeah. I have lived and and I am who I am. But I even like I would say in the last 10 years especially began to develop this sense of like deep ambivalence around when people would view me as strong. Mm. Because I just felt like this a little bit um I knew what they were trying to say. I I think I knew that there was like a good intention there, but internally I I was like, it was almost like, that's what I heard growing up too. But what I really needed was support. What I really needed was attunement. What I really needed was someone to name how not okay things were, but, but instead it was sort of like, it's like you get a high five, right? And you're like, oh, I need, I don't need a high five. So that for me, that work, and then combined with my work as a therapist, watching my clients and, and really not just even clients anymore, but really people that I've met through lots of different spaces, social media and and Mm -hmm. folks who've read my books, um, viewing, having this, like, it's like a double-edged sword with strength of feeling like, I know Mm -hmm. I had to do that, or maybe they felt like they didn't have a choice, but also deep, like shame about it. Yeah. Shame, like, oh, I, I, I should have tried differently. I don't know. Like there, there's this, just an unsettledness. But then when often when those folks are trying to heal, they then feel, and I think this is often influenced from a social construct, like they feel like they're weak. Mm. They feel like they're weak for feeling their feelings. They right. feel like they're weak for being kind to themselves or cultivating self-compassion. And so over time, it's like these ideas have melded together. And it was, this is where the idea came for me that it was both, that it was all like, it's strong to survive. It's strong to be in process of healing and it's strong to fully move through what you've, what you've lived through or what has been. To need a minute. You know, for me, like I've never, I I just, I resonate with, with so much of this. Um, It it wasn't shame about being emotional. I'm a, I identify as a four on the Enneagram. I love my emotions. I'll sit in those forever. But like, but for needing a minute, for not being so functional, for not, um, you know, nailing a to-do list. Like I need time. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I think that that there are a lot of people that might, no, I'm okay. I'm, I mean, I might be okay with my feelings, but there's this other thing that I do perceive as weak, you know, yes. um, days off or or whatever. Absolutely. I mean, I think, and this is why, you know, in the book, I give so many examples of what situational strength could be. Yes. But then even at the end, I'm like, any action yes. that's rooted in a survival energy that doesn't come to a resolve. Right. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> I think sometimes people, there's there can be like stereotypes of what strength means. But like I would say every single person has a version of what it means for them yes. to be in situational strength. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think what you're naming is, is a great example of some people might be comfortable feeling their feelings, but there are other ways in which they are not able to tap into what they need, the resources they actually need to be able to move along the flow of strength. Right. And so I think those are the questions. It's always like, maybe for whatever reason that element was accepted but what's but what's still stuck you know sometimes it's like oh i'll feel my feelings but then i feel a lot of shame about it mm-hmm. it's like that so it's like it's not the problem of feeling the feelings it's the shame that comes it's after that i'm melodramatic <laughs> yeah that, or and or a, a deep feeler which yeah. me too <laughs> Um, yeah. Okay. So real quick. So the term situational strength and then Mm -hmm. the other term transitional strength, Mm -hmm. situational strength is this, I get it done. Um, how the world might define it. It's this, uh, super competent, um, all of these stereotypical things. 
Actually, what, here's what I would say with situational yes, please. strength. Yes. I would say situational strength is anything. So it could, situational strength may not always be perceived as competent is I think what I would say. Like it's anything that we need to navigate the situation. So it could be dissociation. It could be you being uh, uh checked out. Got it. Got it. Okay. Is your strength because it's survival. It's survival. It could be, it could be, um, being a really sarcastic, angry person Yeah. because your body perceives being vulnerable is so unsafe. Yeah. that you might have developed these ways in which you drop into this part of yourself that is like, I cannot, it's it's unsafe to feel this vulnerability. So I have got to keep this thing going. Okay. So I just say it that way to say it can look competent, but okay. it can also look to other people like, what are they doing? Yeah. Because <laughs> our body is like, this is what we're doing. Like, this is what we are choosing to do to navigate this situation. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So uh, as a listener and, and learner, what I did is I made how I am in situational strength, totally. situational strength. Okay, great. So now transitional strength is this new, more expansive option. So tell, so now yes. if once we have um, a more varied, uh, oh, I just lost the term, um, not ecology, but emotional um when we have a diverse, diverse um, vocabulary. You, no, you had a really great term. Ah, okay. Um, <laughs> Capacity? It's basically like um, our nervous system is flexible, right? And so we yeah, have a diverse yeah. emo, a diverse emotional. Yes. Oh, good. Dang you it. forgot <laughs> too. Hey, listen, if you forgot, I'm good. <laughs> emo diversity. Emo diversity. That's it. Okay. So, so we have situational strength, which is survival. We have transitional strength, which is something different in how you're teaching us new ways. Yes. Okay. So here's what I'll say really quick. So okay. the flow of strength mm-hmm. is, is where, so on the flow of strength, we start often in situational. Okay. And then as our body perceives, we have enough safety. We move into what I would call transitional mm-hmm. and transitional. If you, if you think back to when I was talking about the nervous system, what's happening in transitional is that our, our prefrontal cortex is beginning to come back online. Yes. We're beginning. Yeah. Like when you think about, again, that window of tolerance, we might begin, we, we have a foot in the window. Right. So it's not like that all the energy of the situational strength is gone. It's more like we are able to be with mm-hmm. like this pain or mm-hmm. this fear yeah. or this panic that's yeah. coming up for us. It's almost like if you think of it, like um, we're observing it. Yes. So we're lost in the pain. We've gotten a little bit of distance from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that distance allows, first of all, the distance is, feels like safety to our body because our mm-hmm. body says, we are not the pain. We are not mm-hmm. the trauma. Mm-hmm. We are experiencing the pain. We are observing the pain. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, this is where more choice lives. Right. And so transitional strength is where a lot of healing and growth happens because this is where we begin to say, okay, what do I need? Who can I connect with? Mm-hmm. What other resources are available to me? Yeah. How do I need to move? What, what music would be helpful for me? You know, like right. it's all right. the different various options that right. might be available to us. Mm-hmm. And so. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, so then as our body perceives like, okay, we've got more and more resources. Mm-hmm. What it does is that it taps into our body's natural capacity to process. Like we talked about at the beginning that our body wants to process and digest. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is, is that those experiences, maybe all the way from situational strength, it gets pulled through. And that's as it gets pulled through to that integrated strength, this is the process where it begins to be completed. It's where that all the, like the like the energy that your body needs to be like moved through, it gets discharged. So you're not carrying that intensity anymore. Your body is able to kind of let that move through. And then what stays is that again, like the memory or the situation gets filed away correctly. We're able to begin to like, then we can reflect on the situation. We can notice that it's over now. We, um, 
we might have glimmers of like insight. We might be like, oh, dang, I can't believe I just did that thing. Or like, man, that should have never happened. I'm so Mm. proud of myself. Like, Mm. like this is where, and it's not to say that you might not get some of that in transitional strength too. You, Mm -hmm. you may, Mm -hmm. but often that integrated place Mm -hmm. is where, I mean, this is where there really is a source of like, it is over now. I am okay. Mm. I can do, I like, I can do this. I, if I was faced with it, like I would have you know, I know that I am capable of going through hard things. Like all of those things come out of um, that more integrated. Yeah. So as I'm making a picture in my head, would you, am I correct in saying that from situational strength to transitional strength are these embodied practices of my feet are on the ground? Mm. I just took a deep breath. You know, or, or is that the embodiment? Is that the importance of embodiment to get us to that next place? Yeah. No, I, that's a great question. And yes, I mean, I would say part of it is like, this is where this work at the, the early stages is like, is like especially gentle and careful because mm-hmm. again, it's yeah. almost like that. It's like a scared animal that you can like scare away so quickly. And and it's like our body is, is in such high alert, Mm -hmm. our body, or it's so stuck in like a dissociation Mm -hmm. that we were trying to the, when we are uh, giving those cues of safety, oftentimes it's really simple stuff Mm -hmm. that works the best because all of our higher order thinking is either offline or limited. So this is why I'm always talking about things like grounding. So that's using our five senses to come back into the immediate presence. So even what you're naming, like feeling my feet on the ground, that's a form of grounding. Like I'm using my sense, my sense of, um, you know, I'm, I'm literally feeling the weight on my feet. Um, or, you know, I might be noticing the light in the room or I'm noticing something I can smell because God willing, the present really is a safe place to be. And if it's not, then we need, then we probably almost need our situational strength to get right, us out. Right, um, right, And so all those like practices that feel like safe enough to your body, like, like what's the thing, you know, when folks are first engaging this work, I'm like, don't worry about as much what other people, like if something works well for somebody else, that's awesome. And it doesn't work well for you. That's okay. Right. It's about figuring out what helps bring safety to you. Right. And I love that so much about your work, Andy, is that you're not saying situational strength is bad. It's actually very, very functional. You're saying all of this is going to work together. Um, one of the things that makes me feel so nurtured by you, um, there are, are actually many ways, but one of them is how individual your approaches are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, even just the word safety, you're like, if that is a word that feels unattainable to you or is triggering in some way, then let's use the word settled instead. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, you talk about hearing like a calming voice of of God, maybe you offer. If that does not feel um, settled or safe to you, think of somebody that you really love in a movie. Like it's just, that's just such a beautiful um, option. You, Mm -hmm. you say so many times that you are not ever going to celebrate trauma. Mm -hmm. And there's something about me hearing you say that, um, you acknowledging, no, trauma is awful. Trauma can kill you. You know, instead, what we're going to celebrate is adaptability. Um, that's what we're going to celebrate instead. And so, and I just love that. There's something about you saying that that feels um, like a hug to me. Do you mind expanding on it so other, so listeners can hear that from you too? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, thanks for saying that. And th- yeah, this is a core I mean, this is a core value for me. I mean, I think as a trauma survivor myself, as someone who's heard my fair share of like people wanting to tie a bow on experiences that should have never happened, right? And I think I cannot tell you the number of folks that I've worked with who wrestle with these feelings of shame because it's like they think they should be grateful they feel bad or they carry um, a sense that they should be more grateful for like terrible things that happened to them. And I think for me, I hope that it frees some people up. Yeah. 
to, and I'm not saying, I think something that's important to name too, is that I'm not saying like, if someone people, I, again, I, I do believe that you kind of get to view your story. Like it's your story, mm-hmm. but these are, this is probably for the folks who are like, I am so tired of hearing that. Like, I should just be, I should just be happy because things like worked out. Okay. Or like now I'm a functional adult, so everything's fine, you know? And it's like, I, one of the things that I say is that trauma is not the gift. This is not the gift. And I think in my opinion, um, from a faith perspective, I'm like, that is in profound misalignment with the character of God. And it doesn't mean that God cannot meet us, cannot work too good. Mm-hmm. But let's be very clear that that's, that's a misalignment, right? And so I think to me that to, it's very important to say trauma is not the gift. But the way that God designed our bodies to survive, mm-hmm. that is a profound gift. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to understand for folks that if we didn't have our trauma responses, psychologically, what that would do to us to not have the defenses we have um, really would be significantly shifting our ability to like continue on in the world, basically, like without those survival strategies, um, folks wouldn't keep going. I think it's the thing. And and I I like to reframe that so that people understand like those have served a purpose. And what we're trying to lovingly and gently do is to honor them Mm -hmm. and to say, as we are able, let's set those down now. Yeah. Because they may not, they may no longer be helpful. Yeah. Thank you so much. You have such a beautiful faith, Andi, and you have clearly found the friendship of God. It exudes from you and um, it's most just prevalent in how you care for others and your tenderness towards us. So thank you so much. Um, I feel like it's out of overflow, you know, that you've just Mm -hmm. been loved first. And so out Mm -hmm. of that overflow, you are able to so generously give to us. Thank you so much. You write so beautifully about the withness of, of God. Um, so before we promote, 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 can you tell us (laughs) something that you are hopeful for? Mm. Mm, I love that. You know, I am feeling really hopeful about this summer. Um, this is our first, um, well, we have, we moved to Michigan last June Mm. and last, this last year was a profoundly tumultuous year for, Mm. for us. And Mm. and there was a lot of good and there was a lot of hard. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to entering this time from a place of a little bit more like there's no major yeah. things. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, the book has been birthed. You have moved. <laughs> yes. 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 The boxes and, are unpacked mostly maybe. <laughs> yeah. And just that feeling of like, I think we've, inv- like we have, you know, I've sewn a lot in like a lot of hard work has gone into yeah. um, this last, you know, year and a half. And so almost like getting, being able to just um, like experience and receive like the fruit of that and the fruit of saying like, okay, like, um, one of my, one of my favorite verses is I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so as I think about this summer, I mean, I, I don't know if that verse like sort of just feels really connected to what I'm looking forward to. I love that so much. I'm going to pray for that along with you. It is my hope that you can bask, just bask Mm -hmm. in your work. Well done. He is so, so pleased. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So tell us where to follow. Tell us all the things. Everybody go get, go get strong like water, get a couple because you're going to want to give it to a friend. You're going, you're going to want to go through it um, with someone, whether it's a partner or a deep friendship. But I just, I think that it's such important work to do alongside someone. Um, And then try softer is um, equally lovely. So everybody go get books. Tell us where to follow along and how to keep up. Mm, yes. Well, thank you. Um, you can find me at my website, ondicolber.com. And I do have a lot of resources there. If folks yes, are interested, you can sign up for my um, my newsletter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Colber, or also especially on Instagram at Colber. Yes. 
You're such a wonderful follow. Um, so, Andy, as I work towards, what did we say? Emotional diversity? Emotional diversity. And, emo diversity. Uh, yes. Emo diversity. <laughs> and a, a flexible nervous system and, and all of these new definitions of strength that I'm gathering because of you. I am going to be thinking of you and I'm going to be giving mm. great, great thanks to God for how he's gifted you and great, great thanks to you for how you have said yes when he has nudged you to share. I'm so, so grateful for you. This is an awesome episode that's going to bless a lot of people. Thank you so much. Mm. Thank you so much. It was a wonderful conversation. Good morning, Beefinator. Hi, Beefy Beef. I love seeing you here. Hello, hello. Um, okay, so Andy Colber, I like moved her interview up in the rotation because I'm like, I want to get this out ASAP. I really, oh really gosh. loved this interview so much. I loved listening to y'all. Um, but I gotta ask, like, you were especially nervous for this interview, which I think is like interesting because at this point, 10 yeah. seasons in, you have interviewed right. so many people that you respect and whose yeah. work you respect. Um, so why do you think you had yeah. like bigger nerves for her? Yeah. Um, respect is definitely a factor for certain, you know, people mm -hmm. whose work or, or even like a, I don't know, I hate to admit this, but it's just true. But like people with a bigger platform, like I was nervous because yeah. what if they share it? And now all of a sudden it's not just our little center mm. sister <laughs> community. It's like their ginormous community. Mm. And I might get away with a lot of quirkiness and, you know, these people that I don't know, are like contractually obligated to like me, but not so much with whatever. <laughs> Anyways. Um, but, um, so there's like, there's a, um, a respect component. Like I really respect what you have to say. There's a mm -hmm. platform component, which whatever, but with her in particular, it was, I was such a learner. Like this, mm -hmm. these were topics that, um, I either hadn't spent much time with, or she was making me see like a, a different way. You know, I was, I was mm -hmm. learning things newly. I was remembering things newly. I was processing things newly and it was just a whole new experience. I think, mm -hmm. I think that's what it was. Yeah. That's why you're so good at this though. You're such a good student and so thoughtful about the way that you mm. come into an interview and mm, thank you. That's good nice. stuff. Um, yeah, she's, she's awesome to learn from for sure. Okay. So I know that time is always limited in the podcast, but I yes. need you to have her back. Um, I feel like there's two things that we really need to hear more about. And one of them is attachment styles. Yeah, um, yes, remember I you and I had talked about that personally, and I know it didn't come up in the interview, but I just feel like, yeah. You could have talked to her about that. For sure. Well, and it's a big portion of her book. So everybody go get Strong Like Water and check this out. And, and some people might be familiar with this because I don't think it came out, you know, all. I mean, I think it's old knowledge, maybe. But mm. um, as I was reading it from her, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is fascinating as a way that I might relate to the world or operate in my relationships. And so I was talking about it with you, like, oh, my gosh, you know, we're taking this quiz and and mm -hmm. take it as if you're me. And what do you think I am? And what do mm -hmm. I think you are? And, you know, it's kind of like the love language. Oh, gosh, love languages. I'm always so <laughs> when yeah. I learn about these love languages, I'm like, oh, well, great. I'm all of them. Yep. But <laughs> in this instance, it was like, oh, that's definitely me, you know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, I agree. The, the attachment was, um, really, really interesting info for me. Yeah. I feel like counselors are probably so overwhelmed with anxiety and depression right now that they don't even have time to talk about anything else. So oh my gosh. Right. Yes, totally. Seriously. Um, okay. So the other thing that I think that y'all could have gone on and on about and that people want to hear more about is mm. the witness of God. Mm. Um, remember yeah. like she arranges her book with like personal stories and then science and then biblical application that shows yeah. this like connectedness of God and his people. Right. Um, and then of course I know that witness is such a big part of what you write and think about and pray about and with a yeah. son named Emmanuel. Um, mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. I think I and everybody else would love to hear y'all talk about yeah, uh, that togetherness more. Right. It's funny you say that because I actually had incorporated the last question was mm -hmm. asking her to just expand on that. And um, I ended up turning it into just a compliment and then ending because we had run out of time. So I definitely wanted to get more on that from her. Um, I... Yeah. Again, like time's limited. I mean, I, yeah. I, I really wanted to, because it's so beautiful how she incorporates that into the book. And yeah, I've, I mean, just in 
this time where it seems like so much bad is happening in people's lives, it just feels yeah. really, really important yeah. to point out and keep pointing out and keep reminding ourselves and each other that we're not alone and that God's with us in the anger and confusion and worry yeah. and doubt just always. Yeah, right. And I feel like what Andi does so well, writes about so well is, you know, we can know about God mm-hmm. and and that's fine and good and we should, um, but then we can know God. So it's the same way of, of like, if we were, you know, staring at a map, we can know um, because our intellect tells us so, or even our theology tells us so, if you will, you know, that, that Alaska is the biggest state in the United States, right? Like we can know that. Um, but then we can also experience Alaska. Like we can Mm -hmm. experience its vastness and we can know that in a really personal way. And there's, there's a difference between those two things, that withness, you know? Right. Right. And so like to stick with that analogy, what would you say is the way to get to Alaska, right? Because everyone's not right. already there, right? Right, right, right. Well, okay. So in pure on fashion, because everything, we talked about this um, in the interview, but um, everything is so individual. She gives so much freedom and expansiveness about mm-hmm. how to arrive somewhere. We just keep carrying this analogy. I like it. But like <laughs> how to arrive somewhere. Right. And so I would say that that answer is going to be different for every single mm-hmm. person. I mean, some people it's going to be like, you know what? I can't pray right now. And it's going to be a community swooping in going, I can pray right. for you. You right. don't need to pray right now. I've got this, you know, or relying on the prayers of a church. Um, maybe it's getting out in creation and being mm-hmm. reminded that you are small and God is big. I mean, there are a million different ways to stir our affections and to lean on the things that we know for certain, which is that God is good and that his plans for us are good, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, because things do get confusing, but when that happens, we need to stir our affections so that we can be reminded that these two things will never fail. And that's that he's good so and good. that he loves us, you know? Yeah. So good. I love that. Um, I just think all this means that she has to come back. You got to have her yes. back. Yes. Andi, please come back. It was one of my very favorite interviews. I loved it so much. All right. Me thanks, Beef. Love you. Love you. Bye. I am so, so grateful for you, listener. If you liked this episode, could you please do me a favor and hit subscribe and leave a review? It really helps the show grow and I would be so appreciative. Thank you so much to our guests who share their gifts so generously with us. And a special thank you to Taylor Schroll, who does so much behind the scenes to make the show great. If it weren't for him, I would still be in my closet with my iPhone. You can follow along at Forte Catholic as well. That's Taylor's show where I show up now and again. And to keep up more regularly, please follow along on Instagram at Allison M. Sully or TikTok at Sullivan Family TikTok. See you next week. Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to ForteCatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.